0: You got to be a rider till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class. Yes, that's Lisa Bullacaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring no game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel. Say what you want. Welcome to the rent room
1: what's up y'all it's your boy hilliard guess and you guys are listening to the screenwriters rant room i was about to say writers guild see? <laughs> looking at you <laughs> y'all listen to the screenwriters rant room where we keep it real we keep it opinionated we keep it what brian you know what we do we do 2022 right keep it with me 2022 Two. bam see that he got game with that. You feel that? <laughs> <laughs> on this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Chris Derrick is out today working on his, um, some big director thing he's trying to do. So, hey, we got fingers crossed for him, whatever it is. Let him get in there, get that, get that, because this gets a guarantee to, to direct an episode too if he gets in the program. So I'm like, hey, go get it. Um, so anyway, if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get to the show. <clears throat> so today we got my man, the big bro, the home dude. <laughs> like he really cool, Leah. Look at that. Like he think he really look at him. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Gary, y'all, writer, producer himself, executive producer. You guys know him from the Writers Guild podcast. You've heard his voice over there too. Out here doing a
2: lot of great things. Welcome to the show, my brother well thank you hilliard I, I almost don't know what to do on this side i feel like i need <laughs> oh, to are being interviewed. i know but... i need to start saying, so hey, hilliard i'm curious about something <laughs> well and we then... can talk to each other it's fine
1: it's fine um so let's tell everybody a little bit about where you're from and how you got into the game in the first
2: place oh, I that's, have heard... enough.
1: that's enough yeah so exactly.
2: <laughs> i have heard hilliard guests asked in various forms the question how you got into the game <laughs> so many times and I love it because the answer is always different always different and you instigate such a really good conversation because it it warms your guests up it, it allows them to to be heard that mm-hmm. their story is as important as the stories they're telling so right. I, I really appreciate you know everything that you do on the Writers Guild podcast but you hear that so, voice
1: sound like a sound like a real interviewer don't
2: it <laughs> <laughs> So, um, I come from a theater background. Mm. Um, I don't think I ever knew that. No. Yeah. Well, we. I think we've uh, we've tangentially talked about because huh. you're musical theater and dance, mm-hmm. and I uh, did plenty of regular shows sure, too. But yes, sure. but like you had hmm. I mean, you had a, a lot of. That. I think of myself as being a yes right. for sure. Back when you were, you know, you were I was a dancer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so. I uh, was both an actor and a playwright. And uh, as I kind of made my way out of high school and and deciding that this this is what I want to pursue, I ended up uh, at the MFA program, the actor studio MFA program. And I was studying both playwriting and I was studying acting at the time. And it was during that period, that two and a half years, is basically what it turns out to be, that I really began to understand the fundamentals of storytelling, and the fundamentals of, of theater and, and dramaturgy, really understanding drama. And by drama, it's encompassing all of mm-hmm. of, of scripted content to be performed tell, on the stage.
1: Tell, tell the viewers, the listeners, what does a dramaturgy do?
2: Tra- dramaturg do? So a dramaturg <clears throat> is an oftentimes adjunct to the playwright. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> If, if, you were to, if I were to give the listeners who are probably more uh, used to film and television, they would hear your guests talk a lot about studio executives and studio nets. Like your development producer. Development producer. So a really good dramaturg is that one producer that you've had throughout all the gigs and jobs that just gets you, mm. understands how to talk to you, understands how to ferret out of you the best version of the thing you're trying to do, and asks you in that kind of pure Socratic method questions, Hmm. those really posing questions to you to guide you to go deeper, to dig deeper into. So a really good dramaturg uh, has just exemplary fundamentals when it comes to dramatic storytelling. And that, again, encompasses all. It could be a comedy, it could be a tragedy, it could be drama, it could be genre, whatever the case is, right. you know, scripted, uh, dramatic, something in the dramatic form, and, and really helps you be a dramatist. That's what the dramaturg is there, to make you the best dramatist possible, the person who writes the play.
1: The reason I asked is, <clears throat> I've been approached, you know, how to keep my lights on is I fix it, you know? And so I, I've had several, you know, playwrights, you know, want to hire me to come in to be the dramaturg and it what they thought was I was going to come in and do a rewrite for them. And I'm like, Oh no, that's very different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I think that's a whole different feat. Right now me just giving you notes and working you through it and guiding you through is a different thing. And so, um, that's why I was asking the question just for clarity yep. for people because maybe I might not have said it correctly. <laughs> shout out <to> Leah, um, <laughs> his wife is in here looking all cute and stuff. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Leah. Um, so that's why I brought it up. Oh, by the way, just to yeah. talk about that. So you're in college mm-hmm. and you were studying. Um, well, this writing? is
2: grad school. So I'm in. I'm uh, where were I'm you? At, where? Actor Studio MFA program. Oh, so in, in New, New York. York. Okay. Yeah. So I was studying acting and playwriting. At the same time, and it was in that where I had uh, you know a wonderful kind of one of those formative teachers. His name was Bill Coco, mm-hmm. and Bill Coco was he was a dramaturg, okay. uh, and really pushed me to understand what it meant to write a play, what it meant to be a dramatist, okay. and what it meant to craft a story. If that was the intention, well, I'm sure at some point we'll get into the you know you know mm-hmm. what is a story and what's not a story. Sure. And, and so if you're telling a story uh, in that Western Aristotelian sense, going by based on the Greeks and Aristotle, because there are other ways to tell stories that have a, a cultural antecedents in and of themselves, Eastern cultures. Told tell. y'all
1: he was smart. So you throwing out all that stuff.
2: <laughs> so, you know, so it, it was just one of those eye opening experiences, like really good college experiences can be, higher learning, and that the, just the dialogue that uh, Bill and I would have even outside of class, you know, because he was an extremely approachable person. And I, I recommend if you are ever in the presence of an approachable teacher, take them up on that mm. overture yeah. to and continue do the dialogue. Get that game? Get that game. <laughs> get the loot, get the game. <laughs> all right so so yeah so so from there uh, i i did some dramaturg work i you know i worked with circle in the square and playwrights horizons and i was also you know producing my own plays at the time and and not just writing them i chose that word carefully i was also producing them Um, and that's what helped me to find that fulcrum moment to go from this is an aspiration of being in the arts uh being the starving artist whatever that kind of conception is about the the struggling person who is trying to share something tell something to the world Mm -hmm. to know this is this is going to be the enterprise of my life and so therefore i have to treat it as such i have to bifurcate my brain into such that i can be solely creative but i also need to have a, a business sense about me otherwise the the i'm hoping for a lottery ticket that something I do will somehow a whole series of chaos will line up (laughs) and somehow bless me with a moment that if I'm smart and lucky enough, I can then leverage to something else or I could treat this as a long play, have the long view and start working the levers of business to make them support each other.
1: I talk about this several times, even on the writer's guild podcast, what I've interviewed on there. <clears throat> with some people who were playwrights who if, if you look at their resume you don't see anything on there that's like how are they co-show running their first show but there are two positions that I think of all the time I remember when I interviewed little Marvin and when I interviewed oh, somebody else I can't think off the top I've interviewed mean, so many freaking people and <laughs> we both have <clears throat> that I just can't remember who it is um and, you see what I'm talking about see how I get treated y'all you what I mean? <laughs> but I've interviewed so many people, um, but there's two positions that I've figured out that why Hollywood is like, "Oh no, you could co-run your own show." One of them is a former playwright, producer in theater or something, and the other is somebody who comes from marketing. Here's what I figured. Out. I remember talking with that Ava
2: DuVernay. That I mean, that's Ava, where she she comes out of marketing. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Like, remember if when I talked to Little Marvin, Reese, another one. When I talked to Little Marvin, um, I told him I says I'm not surprised because when I when I sent out like an email to like some of the writers on the Black Committee, I was like, Hey, I'm going to be interviewing Little Marvin. Anybody have any questions? Four of them were, How in the world did he get to run his own show when he never worked on a TV show before? And I thought, Oh, that's easy. In my head, I'm going. He's running heads of marketing. He's got a whole team. He's already producing stuff and commercials and all that. He's already being a showrunner.
2: Yeah, he can manage up and manage down because he's Easily. doing it every day.
1: And it's the same thing for a playwright and a producer who does theater, or director, or whatever. That The way you guys run the teams, you used to working with everybody, working with the actors, the director, the production, you already showrunning. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so to me, that's why it's an easier process for when I think of why Hollywood allows them – To now co-run or run their own shows,
2: they're already doing it. It's just called something something else, right? You know what I mean. Go ahead. Well, I I think that uh, uh, there's no coincidence that they're in Hollywood. Is a long tradition of playwrights making uh, the 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 Quest West, right? And and coming out here, whether it's you you know Barton Fink. I mean, that's just (laughs) that's the tragic version of it. Yeah, but. There is a a depth of character there is an under uh, a core understanding of the fundamentals of drama, uh, which playwrights are forced into understanding because you don't have the opportunity for spectacle to di- to, to distract from poor dramaturgy <clears throat> right. You know, the play works or it doesn't work. And it's usually, especially if you're off-Broadway, it's two or three characters in a black box. Mm-hmm. And, and you, your writing is laid bare.
1: Meaning there's no real sets or anything, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: and, and, and there's no car chases and there's right. no big things that, you know, that the Hollywood films that lean, again, I'll use the word from Aristotle, spectacle, <laughs> that lean on spectacle mm-hmm. versus drama, because they are two very different things, you can do that. You know, and and in many in in cinema that you can't do in theater. Right. Uh, some musical theater productions try and and have an epic feel to them, mm-hmm. but they still have to be strong fundamentally, or you don't get you know twenty years of of shows. Right. I, well, I was going to bag on Cats, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, because that's that's probably the loosest conglomeration of what would hold together as something <laughs> that resembles a play, mm-hmm. uh, but you know people enjoy if it if you understand it yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i'm talking about the play not the movie the 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 movie itself has its own kind of very <laughs> curious execution
1: so you finished college you yeah. were doing some dramaturg stuff did yeah. you did how long did you stay in new york before you came to la and what what brought you here well i besides
2: in, the beautiful one over here well that's a whole different the story
0: <laughs> <laughs> that
2: this is this is a this is a love that has bloomed later in life. Oh, isn't that cute? Yes. <laughs> so the the actor part of me was leading in the beginning, and mm-hmm. and that was I was doing a lot of Lort, which is League of Regional Theater, mm-hmm. you know, bus and truck shows. Yep. Uh, and I did. Yep, <laughs> I did a long production of Amadeus, which was about eighteen months. Wow, that's and, a and long I was long. It was, and I was playing Salieri really? in that one. And yeah, that's so, a good role. Sure. what was good is is we would do a lot of university. So we were uh, usually the Lort breaks up between east of the Mississippi and west of the Mi- Mississippi. Okay. And so this was all east of the Mississippi, predominantly the the I ninety five corridor <laughs> is where we were going. And if there was a university within an hour right. or so, ninety minutes of of I ninety five, we probably hit it between Florida <laughs> and Boston. Got it. So. Um, I would do guest artist appearances you know, during this period, and you know, and this was, you know, this was right around the time that I was uh, going into grad school. I, I, you know, so the actor brought me into grad school, mm-hmm. and the playwright took me out of grad school. Oh. And my focus, I, I was still, my ego was still such that I felt I could be an actor. And whether that was a leading I man what or not, that
1: no. feels like Leah. I have yeah. no idea. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so yeah. So through uh, through my youth and and a very healthy ego, I felt <laughs> as if I could still be successful. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm very careful with words like success and words like career and things like that because they they seem as if they mean something, the same thing to everybody, mm-hmm. but they don't. And so. For me, success was probably some corollary with fame, Mm. which is a toxic relationship. Mm. And I can admit that, that I wanted to be recognized, which as we get to the later part of your career, (laughs) there's an incongruity there because my whole writing career is the opposite of that. It's no, very little recognition (laughs) and just being a submarine and going on my missions. But at the time I was very focused on acting and, and I wanted to try something different. And so I came out to Los Angeles. And like many when actors you, when do. year did you come out? Uh, this was a
1: while ago. Okay, now here's, here's a question I ask certain people. <laughs> yes. Okay, just certain people. Yeah.
2: How much money did you have in your pocket when you came? I had uh, $875. I had a car that Approximately So you drove all the way
1: across, across?
2: I've driven back and forth to New, from New York to LA um, many, many times. Oh and then there was a, a period where I was back and forth to New Orleans many, many uh. times. So I know the 10 freeway. I know the 43 <laughs> way. I, you know, I know all those routes through the Ozarks, my friend.
1: The, re, the reason so, I always ask this yeah. is, you know, riders... And I'm sure you probably get hit on the writers go podcast. Also, yeah. writers always ask me when they live in another state or country. You know how in the world? You know how can you do it? Blah blah blah. I'm like, dude, I moved here with sixteen, seventeen, hundred bucks in my pocket. Yeah. You know how bad do you want it? Yeah. Now, now I know you moved here with 800
2: eight hundred. It, it was It was eight hundred and seventy-five dollars. It was a Jeep Wrangler <laughs> that I had that had no air conditioning oh, in it, God. and uh, I I slept in that car, really? in that Jeep, on the way out because oh. I didn't want to spend any money on hotels. Right. So, you know, I I did what I, I referred to as the gas and ass tour. <laughs> I would stop. <laughs> To get gas and go to the bathroom and that was pretty much it and if i caught a nap in between you know again the follies of youth so that's when you can stay up all night and want
1: to be a oh, yeah, yeah. now you need those eight or nine hours yes worth. yes
2: and that that lonely stretch from tucumcari new mexico all the way to the arizona border is a lonely stretch around right at boy. four in the morning no so, heat well, no, you know. no, no AC, No heat, no A-C. Well, actually the no heat was good because I, that's probably what kept me away. <laughs> and so I, I, I landed in Los Angeles. I had a friend who was out mm-hmm. here who was doing the um, uh, personal assistant gig okay. uh, on his way. Uh, his goal was to produce. And so that was a, a, a very kind of a natural progression. Mm-hmm. And so I landed with him. I did the, the couch surfing for a while. And then, uh, you know, you, you just start chopping wood. You know, if you want trees to fall, you gotta chop wood. So I just started looking for opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, I directed some plays. I worked with playwriting groups, this corridor up and down mm-hmm. Santa Monica theater Boulevard, Row. the Elephant Theater, like mm-hmm. the, you know, all these ones that are here that are, are the, um, uh, what would they call that? The equity uh, waiver 40, theaters yeah. that are out here. 49 yeah, yeah, 99 <laughs> and under, 99, yes, the 99 seat theater. Mm-hmm. Oh, cause I was still in equity mm-hmm. uh, at the time. You know, I've since, you know, there was that moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to go on <laughs> to, stay yeah, I emeritus I go status <laughs> for both of these uh, acting unions because I'm not coming back. I'm going to leave on good terms just just in case, you know, leave it. I still picky. keep mine. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah.
1: Well, it's just your good looking man. I have no intention of ever <laughs> acting again. Yeah. But- just something tells me to keep it i don't know what you, you know my you little might want to 49 a year i'm making residuals and shit i don't know what it is that's, that's right <laughs> and, yes
2: and, and it's 50 bucks a year to, to keep it <laughs> so, so slowly your investment is losing year sorry. over year and so you know i just started hustling and then i'm going to circle back because i left some breadcrumbs to one of your earlier questions and that was why playwrights why did playwrights get an an oversized view uh, or evaluation inside of people who aren't playwrights, who aren't uh, even writers, Mm -hmm. but there's a mystique about it. So where does this mystique come from? I alluded to it a little bit before. There's a fundamental capacity towards the understanding and the underpinnings of storytelling. From a foundational standpoint, you understand what works and what doesn't work dramatically. So more likely than not, you're going to produce work that needs less work. That you're not going to bring something to the table that is a broken story, because you will have already identified (laughs) some of those issues and corrected them. Or, Mm -hmm. in my case, which has led me up to today, which is something we share, Mm -hmm. is the production rewrite work, the Mm -hmm. script doctor work and the nomenclature, the the vernacular of our business, the Mm -hmm. script doctor. The person who comes in and executes a specific set of instructions or provides a specific skill towards the transition of the script becoming the thing that it was always intended to be the the film, the television episode, whatever the case Mm. is. And that work is specialized work Mm. and playwrights do that work very well uh, because you can come in and no matter what you're told is the problem, unless it's practical, you and I, both of them sure have gotten jobs where it's, we need to take a million dollars out or yeah. The example I always use is, and this is a true example. I was given a project once that was this cozy little, little romantic drama set mm. on the coast of Maine, mm. but wouldn't you know how much money New Mexico was giving them? So I know it's set on the coast of Maine and lots of lobster in the Agonquit lobster pits. However, this is Santa Fe now. Right. So, but don't break the story. Right. And, and, and so a playwright can see the forest for the trees, mm. understand what the story is, hopefully execute this type of pirouette, land without breaking ankles and making the original writer want to kill you. <laughs> yeah. You know? And if you've done all that. So we simplify it, right? <laughs> well, or you, you, you understand what the engine is mm. there and that what you're really doing is changing the chassis. I know you're a car guy. So you maintain the in- integrity of the engine and you change the chassis. Mm. If people out there would rather a house analogy, the foundation and everything that you don't see <laughs> stays the same, mm. but you've done a reno. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you, you redecorated new, the, the you house. You redecorated <laughs> all new paint, all new furniture, and people right. walk in and they go, wow, right. this is a brand new house. Not really. <laughs> However, sure. Right. You know, so, Story,
1: story's still there, character's still there. Yeah, everything. Well, one, of, one of the things that I do, I uh, don't oh, know, we're going back and forth. Sure. One of the things I do when I get these type of jobs is I try to condense. That's the thing that I usually see. There's usually too many characters, usually, you know, focus. You know, we haven't seen this guy in fourteen pages and now of a sudden they pop up and they save something. I'm like, what the it's like lots of little things that I'm like, oh, what if that person was that person? What if we combine I'm always trying to figure out how to simplify? Oh, if they were related to each other it'd make more sense if we whatever. And so that's why I was asking about the simplification. Of that is, and then I'm trying to condense. I'm trying to get to things faster. I'm trying to go, oh, if we open here, I actually like what they did in the opening, but, ooh, what if this, and I'll change some things. And when they finally read it back, they're like, we would have never thought about that. Yeah. you know. And I'm like, because I'm thinking from an actor's point of view yep. of what would I want right?
2: You changed the window on the same story. Correct. So you just moved it. It's mm-hmm. the same thing. but you It's just, the same. Yeah. You it's moved it. It's just from the left instead of the right or whatever. Yeah. Go ahead. yeah. So what's interesting is, is I think that this is a, a good opportunity, you know, to talk directly to the listeners and give them a chance to not have you or I hired. what can you do to to ensure don't
1: don't, don't mess up my ends?
2: (laughs) What can you do to ensure that Hillier and I, or some other script doctor, is not brought in to fix a problem? You know, oftentimes people come in and do dialogue polishes, et cetera. And and I don't want to really go down the rabbit hole of the inscrutable aspects of the, uh, the arbitration process. But I will say the arbitration process is tilted heavy towards structure then scene flow, then characters, and very, very last is dialogue, which is why you could come in and literally change every bit of dialogue and not get credit. Mm -hmm. Because the, the Writers Guild and the process of writing screenplays is more akin to writing a blueprint for something than the finished piece. And so therefore, the structural integrity of the story is everything. It should be able to survive the slings and arrows of the resource allotment process of talent it should survive the various agendas of everybody else involved it should survive the production the the vagaries of production it should survive all those things you, you sound Structure. like you've
1: been through the arbitration
2: <laughs> maybe there's certain things that stay in Vegas um, so uh, there's an opportunity here to say okay you're looking at your piece mm-hmm. and you have an instinct we're going to assume that your writerly instinct is such that you have talent, you have that ephemeral thing that is just, you have a voice, you have a way of telling story. So what I'm going to approach here is your skills. Skills are things you can learn. Mm-hmm. The skills are things you can sharpen, you can practice. I mean, to this day, I mean, I'm auditing a screenwriting class right now just mm-hmm. because I wanna keep learning. I wanna, right. there's something I may have missed along the way. There's right. something, a new thought may have entered into the, into the arena and I wanna be exposed to that. Mm-hmm. So skills, <clears throat> what are your skills? So you start with Aristotle's poetics. It's like, you, 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 that's where it all begins. That's the first person in the history of Western storytelling that asks the whys. You, you, you set up this conversation as we're going to talk a lot about at the house, mm-hmm. and those are important because that's process. Right. Process is the intersection of, of skills and your talent. It's process. So Aristotle asks these questions, why? Why does this story work and that story not work? Why does this play, why am I engaged throughout this whole play and not this play? Because he's a philosopher. Mm. So he starts asking whys. Why is this? Why is that? And inside of that, through his Socratic method of constantly asking questions, he arrives at an argument, and I don't mean a conflict, an argument in a philosophical sense, where he says, this is what drama is. This is what I have perceived, I've reflected on, and this is what drama is. And he breaks it up into (laughs) comedy and tragedy. And by comedy and tragedy, he's not talking about ha-ha comedy, it's does the protagonist the focus of the story, go through a series of events that test this character's flaw, Mm -hmm. and then the protagonist overcomes the flaw and is rewarded by a new life, a new world into virtue. So in a binary sense, that story is an inspirational story. Mm -hmm. The tragedy is the other side of that, which is- He ain't gonna make it. Yep. The character <laughs> succumbs to the flaw, that's it. And the, and so therefore succumbing to the flaw, the character is punished. And so that story is a warning. Right. So we tell inspirational stories and we tell stories of warning. Hollywood tells predominantly inspirational stories. Mm-hmm. This is how you've, this person overcame. 2000 years go by, um, Sid Field writes on screenplay or his book, which is a 100% how book. Yep. It's the first book that talks about. This is a slug line. Int. Period <laughs> means interior. <laughs> Ext. Means this. all the basics, and, and and it should be this spacing and these are the margins. And all when right. you start your dialogue, it's the, uh, however many two inches in, and all mm-hmm. these types of things. And then a little bit about. Well, you know, you've got these three acts, and the second act we'll break it up into two parts, and you've got he he he, he I forget the word he uses. It, it, I always think of him as turns. You've got just big story turns, mm-hmm. but he, he has his own parlance for it, and he puts it in there. Right. And then he opens the floodgate to a whole host of process books. <laughs> and again, nothing wrong with process, yeah. But they're trying to relate to this original idea of why, execute in a how," which is uh, focused on film and television, mm-hmm. predominantly, <laughs> all the way up to today. And inside there, you got two books, three books. A guy named Gottschall, a few years ago, wrote a book called The Storytelling Animal. And The Storytelling Animal picks up pretty much where Aristotle left off and said, and asked the question, because he's a sociologist. Mm. Why? Why the fuck are we still telling each other stories? <laughs> Why? Why? Haven't we outgrown it? Haven't we evolved have past Have we heard story? it all? Have, exactly. Mm-hmm. And in fact, his premise is, we have heard it all. Mm-hmm. Literally for millennia, we <laughs> have heard it all. And yet we don't tell less stories. We tell more stories now. And so by the end of his argument, he comes to the conclusion that it's endemic inside of our DNA as human beings to pass along information as infotainment. Hmm. If you're didactically telling you this is what you need to do Hilliard mm-hmm. and use how you do, we we're contrary creatures oh, yeah. and we're just like, fuck this
3: guy. <laughs> <listen to him." laughs>
2: but if you slide in the back door of my subconscious and you entertain me and you intrigue me at the same time you incept right. this idea, that's why stories work. And as an, in a complex world, we still need stories to right. understand and make sense of this chaos. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So
1: I was thinking about something. Oh, I know what I was thinking about. We were talking about playwrights yeah. earlier. The other thing I notice is, here's one of my frustrations is somebody who's back, you know, I'm still in some development. I got two or three things that are still in development. Development, hell, oh. You know, it's, it's a mess. But now I'm like trying to go back to staff. Here's the interesting thing that I find. I find it fascinating that, like I had this argument with my agents uh, a few weeks ago. The perfect job that I could have worked on was this particular show. And I was like, dude, you should submit this feature script I have. Oh, they're never looking at a feature. I was like, why would they look at a fucking play? But they won't look at a fucking feature. You're not going to finish the thing anyway. Just look at it for the tone. That's why I want you to look at it, right? Why do you think that is? What the hell is up with Hollywood going, oh, we won't read a feature. We need to know that you can write a whole pilot on your own. But yet they'll read a freaking play that's not a pilot.
2: You know, I, I think that there's still a cultural disconnect in our industry, even though the borders have become quite fluid between film and television. Mm-hmm. And so there are just the there are fewer <laughs> if any perceived borders between playwrights and television. And yet there were definitely perceived borders in the past between screenwriters and television writers. Right. And so... However that persists, I think, in ten years or a generation so it's of executives. Still an old philosophy it's just right. old it's just old thinking, right. and I think as this generation that comes up that doesn't really know much to, i mean I'll watch an episode or a movie on my phone
3: mm-hmm.
2: I, you know at some point it 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 there it's irrelevant, and quite frankly, we may see that. All, the only reason you go to the theater is, is for an experience that you couldn't otherwise have in your home theater or something, some, some huge, massive right. spectacle type thing. And, and, and also good stories. I mean, Dune, I would much prefer to see Dune in IMAX than on my phone. Mm-hmm. Even on my iPhone Max, <laughs> I want to see it in IMAX. So, so, I, so I think to your point is that um, they think that there is a, a direct corollary, whether it's causal or not, debatable, between playwrights and television. And, and I think that there is a bias towards screenwriters that they don't, they, if you think about the, the profession of screenwriting and, the, and the, the job, the task at hand is to tell a complete story right. in a finite amount of time. Well, the pilot, I would argue, is one of the hardest things to do in film and television. Facts. Game.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally totally, it is I yes. mean to
2: land a pilot well is a thing of grace mm-hmm. and, and it is a thing of alchemy and I use that word alchemy because it's equal parts method and magic yeah. because e- e- there's just something that just works and clicks mm-hmm. and could you put your finger on it no it's more of a gestalt thing it just works versus <laughs> hi birdie <laughs> we have a guest on the podcast <laughs> and, and so I think that the, the intricacies of, of being able to tell just enough to grab, it's almost like the first act of, of a, whether or not you wanna do three or five acts, it's that opening, that setup of a feature where I have to give you enough to give a shit, mm-hmm. but never too much to bore you, so that when the story turns, and we move from the movie the protagonist wants to be in right. into the, prota- the story that the protagonist needs to be in. Mm-hmm. That that turn, you're invested. And I want to see, oh no, what's happening? Right. And that doesn't matter if it's a comedy or tragedy, it's that oh no moment. Mm-hmm. Oh no, she's gonna do the wrong thing here. <laughs> oh no, he's gonna do this, Brian, whatever. You in danger, girl. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nope. And, and And so I think that, you know, they, their concern is, and I think that we're going to see this erode, that you can write. Because if you can write a solid first act and you can hook your audience, mm-hmm. you can execute a pilot. Agreed. Because if a first act of a film, that first 30 minutes, we'll call it. If that hooks you, you're not turning it off. You're not walking out of the theater. No. Same thing. That pilot, if it hooks you, you're coming back you're going to come back to the next episode. Mm-hmm. And then, then the trick is to maintain that momentum, right. that dr- dramatic velocity is, is easier to maintain in a film than it is on a series.
1: Right. For sure, for sure. So okay, you I see say... what
2: I mean? So I, I think that it just, it's just, as you said, it's old thinking, it'll erode. Uh, well, it came from,
1: <clears throat> well, several different things. I've been thinking this for years, but I remember the last show I was on, the first day we sat down, one of the showrunners came in and went, hey guys, I want to let all, let all you guys know you guys are all here because you're the only scripts we finished all the rest of them they didn't there were stacks (laughs) you know what i mean and i was like the bitches don't even read (laughs) you know what i mean not the entire things i'm like read my fucking film script and you will see the same thing in tone and all that other stuff so it's just weird to me that they have that thing locked in their head that you know it's a different thing or oh that's a film writer (laughs) you know whatever the thing is i'm like look at the resume and you'll see They're doing TV, but they have this actual film script that would work great for the themes or tones of the stories you guys are telling here. You know what I mean? I think
2: the wise executives would look at the opportunity in being given a film script from a writer that they're entertaining as the chance to see your curatorial skills. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what writing a screenplay is. You are leaving 99.9% of the stuff out. So, your choices on the, pi- every single beat and moment and scene and act has to be built carefully with mm. exacting curation. And if it doesn't, that's why you hear people say, yeah, I'm a little lost here. I'm not tracking this. You know, these right. words that get floated around because they're easy catchwords right. that people hear and they're like, oh yeah, well that's, a, yeah, I'm kind of feeling it's, it's, it's drifting. They don't want to tell you they're bored because mm-hmm. that would be insulting. But when you hear, it's not tracking. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about losing some momentum here. <laughs> You've bored them right. on the page. So the ability to see your, your choices as a curator of story on the page in the screenplay, like that's would, to me, if I were an executive, that would be a treasure trove. Because if you can land a screenplay Mm -hmm. Now I've just was singing, the praises of, of uh, someone writing a pilot. If you can land a 90 to 120 page screenplay, tell a fulsome story and make those pages just turn and the dominoes are falling. And Mm -hmm. right when I think this, and oh my, Mm -hmm. it's like that emotional investment that again is alchemy. There's, there's method and magic in that too.
1: So you moved to L.A. No, no, I'm just. Talking I, about no, I love it. He leaves breadcrumbs, okay. ladies and gentlemen. Segway man. Yeah. So you moved to L.A. Yeah. Um. So what what, what did you end up doing for work? You would you were doing some play some drama stuff and stuff like that.
2: Uh, yeah, I ended up I ended up getting h- hooked in with a few uh, producers who I just had conversations with mm. who would come to see some theater. Right. And I I was often the person. Who would, um, you know, try and open doors, open opportunities? I, I still am that person. I, I I look for those types of things. Sure. And so, I got in with a few producers who treated me kind of like a secret weapon. Mm. You know, I, I wasn't in the Writers Guild at the time. Mm-hmm. I was still kind of dabbling with acting. I was still, you know, I was I was doing a lot of things. And, and yet they could hand me a script mm. and I could boom. And, and for one, I've come to find out basically I was doing his notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know I, what I mean? So, I'm exactly. Talking about exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, but did I do it for free? No, he paid me. So, mm. in, in the inimitable words of, uh, of, um, uh, Uh, Don Draper from mad men. (laughs) That's what the money was for. Right. You know? So I don't take offense to that. Mm -hmm. He paid me to do his notes. He didn't want to do them or couldn't do them or whatever the case is. So, but these, you know, you, you begin to execute Mm -hmm. and by execute, I'm talking initially 90% your work ethic. You give me something. I say, this is what I can do in this amount of time. And I do it. Um, the standard should be that it's good that Mm -hmm. I did my best. But I think oftentimes at the beginning, the focus is more on the work than the work ethic. Right. And I think the, your employability, your repeatable employability, relies in the beginning way more on your work ethic and your ability to deliver on what you say. On time. Yep. I'm, I'm one of those people I
1: used to always try to be ahead of time, but I've learned through the grapevine Uh, over the years, like the first, I don't know, I've probably done 20 different projects where, you know, I was brought in to fix something or whatever. And all of a sudden I used to like the first six or something, I'd be turning in a week or so early. And I realized that if you do that, then they're going, are you really done? Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Well, it's like budgets too. You know, if you, I've, I saved the studio a million bucks. No, they're like, well, why did you ask for that million in the first place? (laughs) Did you just not know? Did you just like darts on the board? It's 10 million. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, sit on it. If you're done, good. You get to play video games for the day. And then come back to it the day before. (laughs) And and read it through. Exactly. Oh, that that typo that had you been jamming the night before. Because again, you know, there's only so many reads that your eyes and your brain has of something before it blurs, you know, so be covetous of those reads. I like
1: to, what's your, cause I know you have, you have your office too. Do you like, I mean, I have my office here, but when I get an assignment, I go away. Mm. You think I would just write here. I I can't do it. I got to go away for like a week, but I like, I'll I'll do the research here. Mm -hmm. But when I go to write, I go away. I have my favorite little place in Ventura, beautiful, you know, hotel that Mm. overlooks the ocean. And I sit there in the room, ordering room service, going down to the gym, just doing my thing for a week. Mm. And I'll write the entire thing. Whether it's a film or a TV show, whatever, in one week I'll just
2: rush it all out. I have all my notes. I have yep. my board. Everything. You've done all the work. I did the work. You didn't just like sit around <laughs> and like muse and you know wait for inspiration <laughs> no. and then it all pours. I do no. all that
1: here exactly. You know, so but when I but when I'm ready to write the
2: story, I go yeah.
1: away and so I can wake up at three in the morning and be like, ooh, what if yeah. you know whatever, and so but it helps me. So I'll do that and I'll spend like maybe three or four days, five days. Writing it, and then like the next two days, I'm just rewriting and polishing and getting it to where I feel good. So that when I come back, I'll take off a day or two and then I'll come back, read it again, and then I'll go, Hey, Brian, whoever, take a look at this thing, right? And then I'll get notes and I go, Okay, all right, I'm gonna get place. So now I need to do this, <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, that's what I found works for me. You know, I'm just curious what your, what your thing is.
2: It depends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it falls into two lanes. the, the if I'm hired as a um, to do a rewrite to, as a script doctor, um, that engages a different part of the brain. Um, I'm very kind of exacting towards schedule. It comes in. I you know I, I, I now have clay. I've got the thing mm-hmm. in which has been presented to me as, as broken or needs to be adjusted. So you know, I'm now working on this th- thing in front of me. It goes back probably to a kid. I, I like to take the toys apart. I like to find out how things worked. And so it engages that side of the brain and you know, process and and inspiration, mm-hmm. you know, are are all contained within a finite system, which is the time allotted. Right. And I and I can just get in and do it. And I've come over time the muscle of being able to look at something from 10,000 feet, look at the whole thing and say, "Okay, oh, this is, you know, this is dramaturgically broken here. This is just a choice. We'll leave that." Uh, you know, mm-hmm. like, that doesn't affect the protagonist's journey. You know, these are mm-hmm. all things that but it's leaning away from the protagonist's journey. My job is to cleave it back into the protagonist's journey mm-hmm. so that it all feels of a piece. Mm-hmm. That's one side. If I'm writing something that is my own work, then there is a whole process that is both intellectual and emotional Mm -hmm. the intellectual research is great i my one of my favorite things to do is getting ready to write my second favorite thing is having written and there's a million things and then there's writing (laughs) on that list of of things i like to do
1: but see there's there's a lot of writers who claim they hate to write i don't hate to write I'm embarrassed yeah, to say it. Yeah. I don't.
2: Oh, that's, and and I and I love you for that. I don't. And and I, I admire you and I envy you as well. Equal parts, all those things, because I have to go through this period where I make um, my immediate environment probably increasingly miserable <laughs> for both myself <laughs> and the loved ones around me, <laughs> into where I have to reach my own kind of all is lost moment. <laughs> If we were doing a story, I have to feel, uh, when I was talking to Aaron Sorkin on the podcast, he referred to it as, I start Googling how to fake my own death. That's hilarious. And, and so I had great great empathy with it (laughs) where, and, 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 and and so I have to go through my own shame spiral of, I'm never going to do this. It's never going to work. I hate myself. I hate this. Why have I done this to myself again? Mm -hmm. Oh, wait a minute. And then I hit the bottom, and I rebound, and I come out, and I, and hopefully the unpleasant Brian is is getting shorter <laughs> and shorter in duration. That I can't say. I will leave that for others to comment on. I'm trying to go through his little menopause moment, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then once once it clicks and it flows, then I'm like you. Then I'm loving it, and then I'm really enjoying it. And I'm like, why did I? God, why am I so dumb? <laughs> why am I such a silly boy who goes Where's... to do this tour man all the time? It was there. You know, I just had to just start. Why did not I start? But I'm so petrified hmm. of starting that first step. Every journey starts with the first step. However, I don't want that first step to be in the wrong direction. And hmm. so I'm petrified that I'm going to be off on the compass Understood. on the heading. until such time where I was like, yeah, fuck it. I just got to fuck go. And then I go. Well, speaking to that thing. And then you just finish it and change
1: it if you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, and and (laughs) I think that's what takes the pressure off of myself is knowing that, to me, a script is a puzzle. I've been saying this for 20 years. And so, because that means you don't have to write it in order. You don't have to write it, you know, according to linear or whatever. You could just go, oh, my favorite scene is... The fight scene yeah. and start there yeah. and that'll make you excited about whatever. That's
2: I- why you're a healthy, well-balanced human being, Hilliard. <laughs> there is and that. those there of is us that. are still trying.
1: <laughs> there is that. Um, <laughs> awesome. So what was your first big break? What, what finally got you there?
2: <clears throat> you know, I, I have contemplated this question. Um, not, you know, not for particularly this interview, but I've often just thought myself, like, wh- what was it? And I don't know, I don't think there was. Mm -hmm. I think it was just a series of things that (laughs) happened that become an amalgamation of events. I connected with enough people with whom they enjoyed working, they didn't wanna kill me, I delivered what they wanted. And it wasn't a one-off, it was replicable. Mm -hmm. And enough of those people happened so that at some point I was then, uh, able to move away from the whole, all this ESPN editing stuff, which is a whole nother <laughs> podcast that I was doing right. at the time. That was just it was fun. it Came in handy though. It came in handy. I mean, it it intersected me with Apple Computer at the right. time, and that will give you a, kind of the dates. It was <laughs> yeah. before it's Apple Inc. It was it Apple Computer stupid. at the time. So, uh, and I was he ain't I, but nineteen, y'all. He tripping. Yeah. <laughs> and so you know, I, I think that it's I reached a critical mass mm-hmm. um, uh, of of experience, of connections into where I could continue with steady work and, and that the work would come in. And also I think the moment when I fully understood what the work of a script doctor was and that I was okay with that, what Mm. it means to be a script doctor what it means to be a participant in the the greater creative collective towards the enterprise of making the project.
1: See, I don't call myself a script doctor. I just say, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an assignment writer.
2: I do yeah. set assi- my assignment is to fix this thing. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know I mean? but, but I guess my point is, is like I was okay with the fact that the job was not about the credit. Right. The job was about the job, mm-hmm. you know, that Which I was hard to do. It's hard yes. because the, the ego, look, Ego is neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so mm-hmm. as uh, to paraphrase Shakespeare. Right. Um, the, the ego has to be sufficient enough. Otherwise, why would you ever put pen to paper? I mean, think about it. Not only do I have a story in my head, not only do I need to take that story and commit it to paper, <laughs> but that story from my head now on paper, everybody needs to read or see or whatever. <laughs> so you have to have a sufficient ego to have the yeah. velocity of character and courage to do that. However, ego can also be destructive. Mm -hmm. And I think that going into a project, knowing that this is the task, consciously and subconsciously, that this is not about how can I maneuver and leverage to ensure that I have lifted my leg high enough, pissed on this script well enough to be able to ensure I can get some kind of credit Mm -hmm. on the other side. Mm -hmm. That no, that's not the job here. That I am part of this and that I am part of, I'm a dramaturg. I'm not the playwright. Let me ask you a question. I always try. I try. You
1: don't always get the opportunity, but I try to reach out to the writers. Oh yes. And
2: let them know. And I've heard you say that on your on on both this show and the other ones, whether it's welcomed or not. You do. Yeah. And sometimes they're like, ah, that's it's in my rearview mirror. Fuck, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And you've also talked about the people who are like, oh my god, Mm -hmm. you actually are calling me. You know, and you've just saved them from probably half a year of counseling. Yeah.
1: You know, for One the of them, one of them I, that they felt. One of them I sent the script to because yeah. they wanted to see sure. what I did. And when, I, when he read it, he went, wow, dude. Yeah, yours is way better than mine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which, which and I was like, no, 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 no. Right. Because a lot of people think that our job is actually, and it kind of is easy. It's easier to rewrite somebody than to create something sometimes. Um, if if the the elements are all there for you Sure. otherwise you have to fill them in and you know recreate something cuz sometimes you got to do a page one sometimes and um o- which, often which on that script
2: i did often that's a development play right. if it's on the way to production and these production rewrites yeah, you're you're, lot, you're sure. now dealing with the practical concerns Correct. of production yeah. and if that Moments. script is that broken at that point there's way more problem <laughs> trouble and problems <laughs> than you you know starting at fade in and for going sure. really. so keep going
1: for that's sure fine. and um <clears throat> But, but what I got from that person was why it didn't work for him, Sure, you know? And I was like, oh, so there was issues between him and this producer and that's why they brought me on. So actually talking to him saved me to know what I was going into bed with. You know, I knew he was gonna be difficult based off of the conversations I had with this guy. And um, um, the other reason why I got it was this, to be honest, was a white dude who wrote this black story and so I came in and totally added a lot of nuance he had no idea about. So he was like, Oh, that's what you do? I was like, Yeah, bitch, that's what we do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, shut up, Leah. <laughs> and um, anyway, so where I'm going with all Did that. Did he is, put
2: raisins in the potato salad? He
1: put raisins in the goddamn potato salad. Ain't that okay. a bitch. <laughs> anyway, so um, what was I going with? That? I was going to ask you something. Oh, but people always think that. Week, so we were talking earlier about the arbitration, WG arbitra- arbitration. <clears throat> so, what happens a lot is so you're brought into, let's say, fix a script. The when you call the writers and the ones you have a difficult problem with, they think you're going to try to rewrite them to push them out, right? How do you avoid that?
2: Well, again, that's the mindset. First mm-hmm. of all, it's it's and that's probably what has allowed me to kind of have this dual track, uh, profession. Uh, I've consistently worked doing revision work, being a script doctor, and then also commissions towards original work or adapted. I do a lot more adapted work than I have originals. The one original is beginning to get some traction, Mm. but I think it's the notion that, um, and this was even before the additional literary material credit, which personally, I won't use, but I voted for, because Mm -hmm. I think it should be available if that is something that the writer wants. It's transparent up front. They've clearly negotiated it.
1: No, wait, wait, wait. No, why wouldn't you use it? I'm I'm curious. Why?
2: Because I, again, I think it, I have a healthy mindset Mm -hmm. about how to do that work. And so when I talk to a writer Mm -hmm. and say, this is what I'm doing, it's not bullshit, uh, and and I think they quickly understand that I am there. We don't use the word dramaturg; that doesn't exist right. in in our business. That's not part of our nomenclature. However, I try to impress upon them that that's I'm here to make their thing better and more producible, and that's usually when I do have conversations with writers, mm-hmm. you know. The the few things that I've done that are really deep development plays, they brought me in. It's it, I'm part of a group to help break something, break a story. Or in 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 the TV world, it's been you know let, let's ensure that this pilot is setting up sufficient world right. to have legs to give Netflix the three seasons before they cancel it. Anyway, <laughs> um, but when I talk to that writer, it's really this and and when i asked them so you know let's dig in here why did you do this and and explain to me why this i'm, I'm i approach it the same way when i'm talking to somebody on right. the Guild's podcast mm-hmm. I'm curious why you did this you know if i approached this this way and 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 tuned right here i'm finding the protagonist diffuse do you think i could tune how do you feel about me tuning it i could go one of three ways do you have a preference you know, That dialogue. You include them. Yeah, that dialogue. Mm -hmm. And then some are, I have had the same thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I wrote that sir. I don't give a shit what they do with it. That was a job. Mm -hmm. And they've moved on. Had that. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's nothing wrong with either of those things. You can be precious about your work if you want. You know, you can also not care. You cashed the check. You moved on. You're on to 10 different things now. And I don't want to be bothered by that. I guess the
1: reason I was asking you about the additional credit thing is so many of us are about the last thing we've done. Sure. So if you haven't sold a show or been on a show or, you know, whatever for four years, <clears throat> but you've been doing all these assignments where you could have gotten these, you know, uh, what's the new credit I just said? ALM, Additional Literary yeah, additional.
2: Material.
1: Well, you kidding me, gotten, it could at least put you in another position, at least according to Hollywood. So that's why I'm
2: curious. If this were if I were at the beginning, I would definitely use it. Okay. I think now... Um, You feel like I don't need it now? I think it's less about that. I don't need it. It is the fact that the currency that I have Mm -hmm. is with the relationships that I've built and that the people who call or the people I'm introduced to don't, they find it not irrelevant. What's on my MDB page, but the nexus of how I was brought to them. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the currency there. And most likely, I've probably done something for them, or for that studio, or for that production company. Mm-hmm. And internally, yeah, yeah, he's fine to work with, and yeah, he delivers on time. Right. You know, and and you can tell him one thing, and then he'll turn around and give you something that you didn't even really know you wanted and needed, and and yet, oh, oh there it yeah. is. You know, and okay. and if it's not working, he'll keep working until it is right. Mm. So I, I think that. That's important to hear. Interesting. Okay. And so, you know, if it, if it were potentially maybe a new group, they offered it to me and said, Hey, I wouldn't turn it down, but I I don't think it'd be something that I would ask for. Say, Oh, now that there's this new thing, I want you to do it. You know, it, I look at these deals as time, my time in exchange for money. Mm -hmm. And and that's what the deal is. Simple deals. There's no back end. There's mm-hmm. no credit. There's no yeah. bonuses. Whatever you took this chunk of my time, money, which I think is a wonderful segue is, into is, signatories.
1: Right. Yeah. But before we go, is, sure. the, is there any money in the additional, any extra?
2: No, no, no. Okay. Then no. there's oh, then there's really no need to, to have it at all. Then well, it, no, it's the credit. Want, unless I, you wanted the credit. Exactly. Okay. To your point, which okay. is a very valid point. Of I, I think Michelle Mulroney, who was the real spearhead love her mm-hmm. by the way um that there are gaps in people's resume yes and it's the resume that everybody has open access to imdb mm-hmm. and to address the outward paucity of experience <laughs> that is not reflective of the actual professional work and trajectory of this individual right the ALM credit is meant to stop gap, further attrition away from future jobs because of the perception that you are not frequently employed, mm. whether or not that has any i think that's part of my in point fact yeah exactly yes. okay that, I think that is yes. your point yes. is totally it will point. fill the gaps yes. and it, and it complete because look let's let's be really, really real with each other here. The stories that you write are in some time at sometimes equal to the story of you, the writer. Right. And whether that's your IMDb page Mm -hmm. or your, your, your game at the cocktail party Mm -hmm. or the way you can flip a general meeting into employment, Mm -hmm. you know, the way that you can just be indefatigable and make cold calls and open doors that were previously closed Mm -hmm. or were just drywall, (laughs) no door there at all. You know, that's, that's part of it. And, and so I think what Michelle and and the team who's behind that was really focused on having that effort rewarded, that there's a lot of writing that goes on that's uncredited. And, you know, look, our bylaws are such, you know, part of, part of our bylaws as, as writers guilds members is we don't talk out of school. I don't go around and say, well, yeah, well, I wrote on that film. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I've mean, i I've seen some people, I don't know. I'm yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, know, you don't do that. And also I think, you know, part of my employability is my discretion. Mm-hmm. I'll take to the grave the, the stuff that I wrote on, okay. you know, that I, because I had the satisfying experience. I did the work. Mm-hmm. They were happy with it. It advanced. Anything that I would say to the contrary of that, it would only serve to diminish my fellow writers. And, and if you look at my Twitter account, which is as anodyne and boring as possible, (laughs) if you're looking for conflict, I put all my drama into my scripts. It's positivity. That's the only thing I put in my my Twitter life. It's if it, if it boosts a writer, if it heralds the success of Mm. a writer, just because to me, if any of us are successful, we are all successful Mm. now, or at some point in the future. So I would never Brian want to diminish. Brian for president. Brian for president. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would never want to diminish another writer just for some minuscule servicing of my ego. What's the point? Right. You know, I see it. I'm happy with it. Yeah. And I, so back you, you to your question to, of when it you changed. You had to get to that point though. Exactly. Yes. And that's when it changed. That's when I became a professional writer. Mm. And, you know, I can still be an artist, you know, uh, Leah, laughs at me because some of my my scripts i i tend to write in a very terse epigrammatic style that is more uh poetic right you know and and she's like oh you're a poet she'll say
1: (laughs) is he (laughs) romantically
2: and and she's she's when we were walking up here she was looking she was oh the writer's building do they let poets in there brian do you think are you able to go in today so yes I I have someone who keeps me grounded by giving me shit constantly. I love it. I
1: love it. You know what's funny though? You know who the hardest person is to read my scripts? Who? My husband and Um, my producing partner. Like they... Meaning their
2: commentary or getting them to do it? Okay. Because they're
1: they're honest. Yes. And and here's the funny, like my husband, I can never figure out. So we've had to decide, I've had to decide not... To expect anything from him, mm-hmm. I don't care how good it could be—the best thing I've ever written—and he will he will read it and just give me punctuation and grammar and be like, you know, have you thought about this word, this word, this word? Yeah. You know, oh, I, I like this moment here. Yeah. Like, not general. sure about
2: your use of a semicolon, but I'm I'm fine with it. And
1: sure, <laughs> I'll I'll be and and I walk into the dining room. He just piles my stuff on the on the dining table and he yeah. just sits it there and goes back to his office. And I'm like. Motherfucker, did you like it like anything? Yeah. So I stopped. Now I realize, yeah. you know, that was years ago. Yeah. Now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, his notes are in there. Exactly. You know, he'll yeah. never go, really liked it, hated
2: it, nothing. The cover page won't have a big heart on it and it will <laughs> no. be on the fridge. No? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no? And he
2: writes it in red. So I'm like, okay, oh. is he doing it like a teacher? Like, well, oh,
1: you, yeah. you never know. But when he does, yeah. I always feel a hundred percent better after I've got his corrections. Yeah. Cause he makes me think about things wouldn't. he's immensely, he's like you, he's like super smart. <laughs> and so he makes me think about things I would have never created, yeah. came up, you know.
2: You know what helps with that uh, um, exchange and that relationship with a reader. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just did this with a friend of mine, uh, Jonathan, the other day and he said, hey, would you read something? I said, sure, but, and, 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 and I, I said, <laughs> yeah, I said, so here's the caveat. <laughs> I need to know what you want. I need to know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, It can be, yeah, just tell me if you like it or not, fine. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm really having trouble with this. Do you mind focusing on this? Or I, my eyes are bleary. I just need someone before, I don't want to embarrass myself before it goes in. Can you just see if I made a <laughs> <any> stupid type of us? <laughs> These are all fine things, yes, but bracket my read. Right. And so I think that, you know, don't be afraid to, to give caveats, to give a cover page in your email mm-hmm. saying, okay, this is where I am and this is what I'm looking for, you know? So then that way, it does a couple of things. One, you'll actually get responses to the things that you're trying to work through.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And also you've, you've given them an agenda. You've given them a mission. They can focus on something. And they'll most likely <laughs> do it versus, oh yeah, this thing my friend just wants me to read. But if you engage them as a collaborator, as a colleague, mm-hmm. as a fellow professional, saying, "You know what? I value your uh, opinion. I know you're really good at uh, at internal beats and the way you know the scene will have a central fulcrum and it's clear where we've gone from agency to obstacle. Can you just look <laughs> at this section for me mm-hmm. and just tell me because I, I I feel it's diffuse. I I just don't know what's going on. And now." you've not only told the person that I want you to read it, but I want you to read it because I really value the way your brain dissects this, Mm -hmm. you know, or I really value your empathy and the fact that, you know, you as a writer, no matter who you're writing, because none of us write memoir hundred percent of the time, we're always peopling our scripts with others. And so I, I admire your ability to empathize, not evaluate, not judge but empathize with your characters and i've i feel that these two supporting cast members may be thin can you can you tell me if you if you're if you're getting something from them or not so again you engage your reader i think i think a lot
1: of the script because i work with a lot i have a lot of mentees that i work with so Mm -hmm. they're coming up so they don't know a lot of this a lot of the time they just know something's wrong or, you know, they're getting notes and they don't understand why and whatever. So I'm like, well, let me read it and I'll read it. And I, it's really hard for me to read a script and not go through it with my notes. I can't just look at it at, oh, he wants me to look at the character. Yeah. I'm like everything. Like, I don't know what it matches, how my head works. Sure. So I'm always going through and adding, you know, extra, oh, here's a pitch for you. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever. I'm like page by page. Yeah. I can't yeah. help Have you it. thought
2: about this? Yeah. Have you done this? Yeah. Exactly. Because, I mean, we can always draw another line on the painting. Right. You know, you can. You can always, you know, improve. Now, there's a bell curve in which... There's the massive amounts of improvement, and then you get to the point of like towards the end, diminishing right. return, and then you are, you know, gilding the lily at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. But, you know, I, I think that's what's fascinating is that the thing that you're saying is vexing. Was that? Need some more? No, I'm good. Okay. The thing that uh, uh, that you you say that your mentees find vexing, those are things that are skills that are acquirable. Mm-hmm. All those million process books that I talked about between (laughs) Aristotle and the storytelling animal with a slight tangent through Joseph Campbell and the hero with a thousand faces, Mm -hmm. which was then distilled for us in the industry uh, industry parlance by Vogler in the writer's journey, which I think is on its 20th anniversary. Pick any mixture of those books and you will understand story process. At that point, you will understand protagonists antagonists, villains nemesis you will understand archetype not stereotype, not stereotype yes. you will understand archetype and why they work in the same way that tarot cards work mm-hmm. they're not reading your fortune but they are indicative and demonstrative of the human experience everybody faces birth everybody faces death everybody faces anger love and loss all these huge archetype things that are used to push and pull story to advance agenda to increase stake and obstacle. So you can increase your aptitude and your acumen as a storyteller, your skills, so that the things that you can learn are not in the way of the things that are in inherently, singularly you. Right. For sure. So we were gonna talk about the other thing. Um Signatories. Say, signatories. Let's jump into signatories sure. and tell everybody what it is we're talking about. So, <clears throat> I'm going to take a slight step back to Sorry. put in context. There is a common um, uh, vehicle inside of the a business inside the entertainment industry called this, the loan out corporation, which allows artists of various stripe. You're an actor. You're a director. You're a writer uh, to self incorporate. Uh, in which you, you, you treat yourself as a business and, and yourself as a product. Uh, writers do it. I mean, actors do it, directors do it, writers do it. Um, th- setting aside the accounting reasons why or why not you would do it or when you would do it, let's set that aside. And let's just talk about the framework, the intellectual framework of, of why you would do it for you. Mm. Oh, shit.
3: I'm all unprofessional
2: is creating a business, creating your shingle. We're sitting here in your office Mm -hmm. in hill dog productions, pimp dog. That's right. Yes, sir. That's right. (laughs) You know, we're on a lot. We're here in Los Angeles. You know, you have the, the accoutrements of your style, but also the, the, the tools of your trade. Mm -hmm. I see a corkboard with ax. Mm -hmm. on it and, and at the ready for the scene cards to go (laughs) up and the the books (laughs) and it's all, but this is not only signaling outwardly Mm -hmm. that I'm a professional. This is what I do. This is who I am. You know, I'm investing in me as a professional to have this space in which I can be, um, working at the, the height of my abilities internally. It also shows shit. I invested in this office. I pay
1: I better. I better get to
2: work. I can't be fucking around. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, incorporating <laughs> does the same thing because.
1: And, and this you're is about, you're not talking about just S corp and the C corp. You are talking about something different? No, no, that's it's it. S like,
2: okay. corp, C corp, LLC. If you want to, just something that says, "Boom, I'm a right. professional." You know, I have a shingle. This is who I am, and and I expect to be treated as a professional. Mm-hmm this is not a hobby. I'm not a dilettante. You know, this Hmm. isn't something that I'm going to do for free because innumerable reasons. No, I have standards. Okay. So not only do I value my work, which all writers I think inherently do. I mean, There is the imposter syndrome and all those types of things Mm -hmm. that every writer has to kind of get over at some point in their career. Some never do. But at some point, you have to realize, no, this is what I do. This is who I am. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter where other people agree or disagree. This is, I'm, again, I'm planting my flag. Mm -hmm. Staking my claim. But you also have to be covetous of your time. Because... The vampiric quality of this industry is, su- is such that in the same way that we don't really have seasons in Los Angeles, just kind of drifts, and you're like, holy shit, four years just went by. Mm-hmm. People will also suck the time away from you. you know, they will say, oh, this person's talented, this person's smart. How much can I get out of them? Mm-hmm. How can I exsanguinate them to the point where they get on a bus and go back home? And then I'll just <laughs> do it to the next person right. who just showed up on Santa Monica Boulevard. <laughs> There's a mindset of that. Right. And so by girding yourself emotionally, but also protecting yourself structurally, you know, begins to stake the claim that no, not only is my work valuable, but so is my time. And so if I'm going to engage with you, if, if we're going to embark on this enterprise together, whatever, you're, you're hiring me to write a script, to do a revision, we're going to do it under the auspices of the labor union that protects this employment. Right. And so- If you're not a signatory, which in order to hire a Writers Guild member, East or West, you have to be a company that is signatory to the guilds, which means it agrees to the collective bargaining agreement that has gone between the producers uh, of film and television and the Writers Guild itself, which in essence sets floors. Ceiling is as high as you can get it, but it sets a floor. This is the minimum. If you're gonna be hired to write a low-budget film, this is the least you can be paid. If you're writing a treatment, if you're, it has what's called covered work in there. And so the rubrics are clear as to what work, how work is defined, how payment is defined, and also sets out the code of standards for the writer. Because if you go to the guild and say, well, this person never paid me, and then Mm -hmm. they open up and they look, well, but did you deliver? Well, it wasn't really clear who has... No, mm. you have responsibilities too. Right. So it, it, it sets out the shared responsibility. And so if a producer or a company is not signatory and they want to employ you, they can either say, you yeah, know, let's just do this on the side and I'll pay you cash. You could accept that. Yeah. Or you could say, no, my time is valuable. And the work that I will give you is such that is worth the investment. Right. And so... You can work through the guild departments, uh, specifically the signatory department, mm-hmm. and they they want this producer to be signatory. Yeah. they do. They want this company to be signatory because not only is it working rule working rule one that you can only work for these companies, but that's the only way they can protect you. Because if this company, you go and you take, oh, yeah, we'll just do. If you have ten grand on the side,
3: mm-hmm.
2: something goes wrong. Well, you're going to have to take them to court and you're going to go to an attorney and the attorney just say, oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, but got dead to rights, we'll get you that $10,000. It's just going to be a $75,000 retainer <laughs> exactly. <You> know, versus <laughs> calling up the guild and saying, hey, th- this is what happened. I-, I believe I'm in the right. We look into this and then all of a sudden the law firm that is the fourth floor of Third and Fairfax kicks into gear. They don't play. <laughs> they don't play. <laughs> yeah. Because- They've now gone from policing this initially anecdotal situation between you and employer and are now the knight errant for the entire population of members Mm -hmm. to ensure that this type of behavior isn't allowed to exist. So it's incumbent upon you as a as a professional who's working as a professional in this industry to understand your assets, to understand the things that are uniquely you, your voice, your style, your writing, but also your shared assets, your time, and all this the stuff business. that is your business, <laughs> all this stuff that's codified in the, mm-hmm. in the, uh, the rate card. It's all about in exchange for this work or this time, because you can be hired by the week.
3: Yep.
2: So it's either by the effort or by the time. So either the work you produce or the time in which you were employed. That standard you should uphold as the writer. You should say, not only am I of use to you, but I am also valuable to you as a guild writer. I'm a professional. I'm going to not say, oh, you know, I've gotta go and do this job or whatever. You're hiring a professional. So yes, I'm useful, but I will also be valuable. And that's the other thing that is the, the mental pivot that I think many writers also have to make after the imposter syndrome begins to wear off and you realize, no, this is what I'm doing, is you have to understand the difference between being of use and of value. And circling back to the ALM credit, the additional literary material, that can help people have the appearance of greater value.
3: Right.
2: All the while being the same useful person but now the value increases. Mm -hmm. You get an award, value increases. Mm -hmm. You get this thing produced, value increases. You have a conversation happening internally between studio executives that is exceedingly insular, but valuable Mm -hmm. to to certain engagements and employment. So all this is saying, when you engage the guild on your behalf, uh, prior to there being any type of disagreement, to say, I want to ensure that the environment I am entering into is legitimate, because I'm legitimate, I'm real. And if they don't want to do that, then you really have to ask yourself, do I want to be employed by them? Do I want to work with them? I think the difficult problems I've had
1: in the past is when I've went on to look at
2: the contract to see how it all works, I mean, it's a little complicated, you know? Well, you know why? And here's here's a cheat. Here's a life hack coming at you. Uh, There is a single application that is a catch-all application for every possible iteration of what a signatory could or could not be. Um, And so, therefore, because we're good boys and girls, we always want to, you know, do everything the right way. Mm -hmm. And so, don't want to leave that blank. And so, you feel as if you need to answer every question. No, you don't. You only answer the questions that are germane to the work at hand. So there's all this section in there about budgets. If they're hiring me to adapt a script, who knows? Leave it blank. It doesn't doesn't that, apply. Yeah. Hmm. And so what'll happen is if there's something you inadvertently left out, guess what? They'll email you. They'll call you and say, Hey. You do left this out. Is this, was that on purpose or do you just not know or, but if you start putting things in because you just want to have an answer, most likely now you've entered into the hypothetical. All I want to do is hire this writer right here. I want to have her, this is the assigned material I'm going to give her and she's going to uh, complete this work. We're envisioning it as a low budget right now, but obviously if it flips high budget, we will make good and upscale her payments
1: accordingly. How do do you convince so let's, get, let's do the scenario, right? Sure. So you, you you meet a producer. You go to their office. Let's just assume Factorona, right? You yeah. go to their office. Sure. You have a meeting. They want you to write this project for them. Mm-hmm. They're not signatory. Let's just assume. But you want to convince them to go signatory to hire you, right? Yeah. And they really want to hire you. How do you convince them, A, because a lot of people just don't. What I've found is like they didn't want to spend the time They're already an LLC in their own company. Now they got to do another one because they don't want their company to be full on, you know, writers guild, but they want to have that. What do you call it? That, that separate separation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They
2: don't want to cross collateralize all. Yeah. Then everything
1: would have to be under that. So, but now I'm asking them to go out and get another LLC
2: for that thing. Like, how do you convince them to even do that? Well, that's when I start talking to him like a producer. Mm-hmm. And then the producer will ferret out whether this is serious or not, mm. okay? Because if the end goal is to write the script, then I probably don't want to work with these people because the end goal <clears> should be <throat> to make the movie, to get right. the thing made. And there should be a plan as to how we're going to either, you know, quilt together some form of structured finance that includes jurisdictional subsidies, or we're going we're gonna to flip this to so-and-so over at Sony. Right. Because I told them about it. They love it. It's all now execution dependent. I believe in you, we can do this. In either of those instances, there will be a step in the near term in which you're going to have to create an SPV, a special purpose vehicle, to house the intellectual property that it's based on, if it is based on something, to move the script into it, to subordinate all the deals with all the various talent that are coming on board into this particular thing, okay? so that it can be what is the most important part transactable mm-hmm. that you don't have to like yeah it's mixed in with my books for my 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 home and my this <laughs> and my kids have access to the same that's not how you do business <laughs> that's not so you separate out so that the assets and the liabilities are not cross collateralized mm-hmm. between all this intellectual property and it's going there anyway so you're going to have to do it mm. At some point. So let's do this properly. You know, and you know, I've I've walked away from things because they just, yeah, I don't want to deal with the writer's guild. Yeah, yeah. Well then you that means you don't want to deal with me. Right. Because I'm not I'm not going to <clears throat> participate in something that undermines the thing that I hold dear, which is the writer's guild. I don't want to sound bushy or sentimental, but I have found immeasurable community. I found solace. I found empathy. I found friendship all within the walls of third and Fairfax. And then the zoom windows over the last few (laughs) years. Uh. (laughs) However, I have colleagues Mm -hmm. in what otherwise would be a lonely enterprise. I have health insurance Mm -hmm. for myself and my family. I have a pension. You know, I have all the markings of a professional position because of the Writers Guild and everything that it stands for, all the antecedents that brought it to today and all the people who volunteer their time there. So for $5,000, I'm not going to undermine that and betray that. Mm -hmm. That's me. I don't hold anybody else up to my own standards. You have to do what you have to do to survive. But there is always a good argument, and you know John Stewart used to say on a show, you know, don't attack me, but just make a better argument. <laughs> so make the argument for them. I've actually done where I've said I will do the entire application. That's I what I was will, I want to get into that. I will handhold this for you. Mm-hmm. I will call the people over there, you know, because I know them. Why do I know them? Because when I joined the guild, I went down the directory and I called every single department, introduced myself, and said are there ways in which I could better integrate with your department? Is there ways that, that uh, I should be thinking about now versus later? I call the legal department. I call contracts. I called this, I called representation. I call all the various departments, introduced Mm -hmm. myself and just said, look, I want to make sure that my engagement with you is effective. You know, some of them uh, I've actually had, they've turned into good relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, the, um, um, the, what's the, the, or organi- organizing department, mm-hmm. it's a great department, you know, mm-hmm. about getting the, you know, the message of the guild out. And so it, they're approachable. They're extremely approachable. Does, does everybody have a bad day? Does everybody have some kind of anecdotal? Well, yeah, I called, they just didn't give me help. Then call back because at the end of the day, no one will ever care about your business more than what you. That's it. I tell
1: that to filmmakers all the time. We'll be in the middle of production and they're all frustrated because the DP's doing something. And I say, dude, listen to me. Nobody's going to love this more than you. That's
2: right. Not even me. And I'm yeah. producing this thing. That's right. <laughs> it's your project. Yeah. You know? So so you help them help you. Mm-hmm. Will it work every time? No. Will you be stuck in some tough decisions where you may be like, if I take this job, it'll pay my rent? Yeah. All of us are going to be in those decisions, and only you can make those decisions. But oftentimes, you know, getting ahead of those decisions, you know, understanding your role in making your environment the best it can be, will often head off a lot of those things. Yeah. Because again, there was one one they were adamant not going to do it. Hmm. Fucking hate the Writers Guild. <laughs> uh, they, they just they just go after you. <laughs> well. Maybe that says more about you than them, but that's for another day. <laughs> yeah. and, and in the end, they, because I did everything, you know, and I made sure that everything, I, I walked them through how to do report of contributions for the pen, uh, pension and health. Mm-hmm. I, every last step, this fucking thing came in, I, what am I supposed to do? Oh, here, let me show you. It's mm. really simple. Let's walk you through this. Oh, and when do I do that? Well, you do it in this time interval after you pay me. Oh, and then you can just, you know, save as the next time because the, we here through our contract here, are the steps and then it's the same percentage because we're going to be inside this year. So mm-hmm. I've already, it's already filled out for you. The percentages you just put in the numbers. Oh, okay. But I got to write two checks. Yeah, <laughs> you got to write two checks. <laughs> well, that's stupid. Why do I write? Two? Well, one's pension, one's health. You know, there's certain things. I know it's a pain. Two checks checks—it's double the work, two (laughs) checks, you know, three times during this for the three steps that we're going to be doing here. So, you know, but will it work every time? No, but lean on the guild. They want you to be employed in an arena in which they can protect you.
1: Why do they have all that other ancillary stuff on there then if we don't even have to sign it?
2: But you may, because let's say I've been in situations Mm -hmm. where I've come in and this is a go thing. Mm. And they, you know, they're working their way through SAG and the writer, original writer was non-union and, you know, this is more rare, but uh, they- Welcome to Hollywood, yeah. Yeah. They (laughs) got themselves in a position where the original writer just couldn't get them across the finish line. And the director they hired didn't, you know, didn't want to rewrite the script Mm. and was going to walk and go do something else you know because these are you know lower budget uh, films mm-hmm. it's going to be like a 30 day shoot you know and it was 60 days away it was more like 50 days away Ooh. yeah that's and that's tight. it and they're locked in right. you know because they've closed their completion bond mm. you know and so the last thing any producer wants to do is have a completion bond called and so their choice was well we can just go make this thing, mm-hmm. or spend a little bit amount of money, and you know, in the end, they had to bring that original writer up to the minimum, the MBA minimum, because then oh. that writer got so a chance. So he got and, in, yeah, oh. yeah. And they had to pay me minimum, mm-hmm. and that was it. Again, that was one of those deals. It's time for this right. for the for the minimum, and that's it. Mm. And so, in that case, it just made more sense because I came in, I said. I've done the work. This is how you fix it. I see it. It's mm-hmm. really clear. The problem is you don't have a protagonist. <laughs> you're, you're trying to have it all ways. Mm-hmm. You've got a buddy film and you're just, say so no, you need a protagonist.
1: Somebody still needs to front it. Yeah,
2: yeah. somebody, well, somebody needs to be the story engine. They right. can be equal screen time. Mm-hmm. You can put them on face to face, draw a line. They're at the same height <laughs> on the poster. Everything is equal, right. but dramaturgically, there must be a protagonist. Don't bullshit me. Well, it's a dual protagonist. They're bifurcated between two. No, <laughs> there's a protagonist. I agree with you. That's it. I agree with you. And the journey, the protagonist has a flaw. They go right. through this journey, this. Because that's the other thing. You know, big, huge swath problems, okay, that you can look at your own work and see, have I addressed this? And if I leave people with just one thing today, and that is protagonist, plot can equal story. Mm -hmm. This protagonist with this plot will equal story. If either plot or protagonist are interchangeable, no, no story. There has to be an inexorable nature between this protagonist going through this plot will yield this story. Mm -hmm. It's the specificity of plot, the marriage of plot and protagonist that will equal story that will then have the hope of creating that odd bounce it's so specific it's so internal and then boom it bounces out and transcends and becomes universal but only because if you change the protagonist or you change the plot it doesn't work anymore what i find often is that you got a plot you have a protagonist but yeah you could swap it out you, you know, the terrible thing. Well, it was supposed to be for a guy, but let's just uh, turn Jim to Jane. <laughs> exactly. Find and replace. I've seen that, yeah. You know, and, and <laughs> of course it doesn't work mm-hmm. because it's not specific. It's not that, this individual going through this acute singular set of circumstances, mm-hmm. that's what creates story. And quite frankly, this protagonist has their own vision. I want to be in this movie, mm-hmm. but the gravity of the story Is going to yank them out of this world that is just, you know, um, placating their wants and their flaws into a world in which they have the opportunity to grow and change and move towards virtue.
1: Let me ask you one more question before you leave. Sure. So you're somebody who's went in, pitched, sold projects before. Yes. What do you what what type of elements do you like to have in your pitches? You think that stands
2: out. So. For example, um, mm-hmm. when I was uh, hired to do the Reagan-Gorbachev, mm-hmm. which um, is making its way, like all things, limpingly through, <laughs> uh, it got announced, what was it, uh, about a year ago now, and just limping its way. So it's Michael Douglas playing Reagan. Sounds like a great show. Yeah, to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Christoph Waltz is playing Gorbachev. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, and J.B. Foley is directing. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Paramount uh, uh, Studios picked it up and then uh, they're looking at it for some form of distribution. I mean, they're in flux a bit, mm-hmm. so we'll see exactly how it shakes out. But they hired me to, do, to turn the feature, which I'll get to your question in mm-hmm. a second, okay. into a three-part limited. Okay. Because they said, you know, there's a lot of story here. Could you expand it out? So I did. Mm-hmm. So now it's just, it, again, this is a project that was a COVID nightmare because you can't do the story between Reagan and Gorbachev without going to like four different countries. You're going to be on sound stages for all this time. You got to go to Iceland. You got to go to the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. I guess you would have wanted to go to Russia, but that's probably not going to happen now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, the original story was such that, or the original idea was there was a, a, a gentleman named Ken Edelman, He wrote a memoir about the Reykjavik summit. Okay and the goal there was to be able to take this this time and place and 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 pivot it towards something that's germane to today and so you have a a biopic that could just lay itself out but the problem with biopics especially the bigger the individual, mm-hmm. the more they just rely on events. Oh, well, you can't tell so-and-so's story without seeing that, and you can't do that. And then all of a sudden, you just got these big events. <laughs> yeah, nothing's really happening. Yeah. We're just marking the time. Oh, yeah. It's like going through a museum. Oh, well, isn't that interesting? Oh, well, look at that. Yeah, that's right. They did that. Oh, huh. wow. <laughs> they did that too. Well, look at that. So when are we having lunch? <laughs> so what? what was important about the pitch was to say, no, this is really about now. This is about the metaphor of polarization and ideology that we see everywhere, tribalism everywhere. And that two people at a moment found a way to rise above all that noise. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to be absolute adversaries. The United States president, and the chairman of the of the soviet union mm-hmm. they were bred to be arch enemies <laughs> if you're comic books that's uh, really being <laughs> arch enemies and yet because of the threat of nuclear war both of them saw that there was something bigger than this fight mm-hmm. there was a bigger enemy and so the ability to rise above that you know, is really what the story's about and the emotional intellectual fortitude that it takes to do that when everything inside you and around you is telling you no. And so the ability to transcend what would be your inherent flaws to try and find a greater virtue and do so with the most unlikely ally ever, that was the pitch. And then the notion of so you trying to get to the core, the core, the essence, mm-hmm. like this is what this is. Like this is a buddy move movie of two people who were never supposed to be buddies. Mm. They were never supposed to. In fact, there were people in, in both administrations that never wanted them to meet mm. because the cold war is just cooking along just fine. <laughs> we got 65,000 nuclear weapons on the planet. We're on our way to 90 in right. no time. We're going to hit the century mark soon. <laughs> the wall still up. That's right. It's going to be great. In fact, you know, in many in many regards the notion was only bad can happen if they meet it's just bad mm-hmm. so you know reagan's going to be out in a few years and gorbachev will be and then maybe the next guy or not we'll just wait him out mm. just wait him out so the notion was that no these two took action and and found unlikely ally forged a trust in which there was a barren desert of absolute mistrust mm. everything pointed to mistrust the entire systems were built to mistrust the other, but in order to achieve their goal, they had to find trust and it wasn't easy. Mm. And so that's, so there you go. Now it's this interpersonal relationship between two people and what, Oh, so what are the stakes? The annihilation of the human race. Mm. And inside, yeah, of, the, inside yeah. of this context, yeah. we see how close we got, not Cuban missile crisis, yeah. but misinterpreted exercises, accidents, all these types of things that could have, if not for some lucky breaks, mm-hmm. World War III. You know, and the more and more nuclear weapons you have, you just increase the chance of wreck. Right. So so I've set the obstacle. I've set the intention. I've set the obstacle. And I framed it inside of stakes that really could not be higher. Literally the end of the world. Yeah. And so I could have gone in and said, so this is about President Reagan. And when he was born, he, you, know, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's other ways you can focus, but it's- So it's a window, you, you, you focus a, on- And a- just do all the intellectual work mm-hmm. so that the pieces, to your point about puzzle pieces, they all line up, mm-hmm. but the whole pitch comes through the heart. Because that's where you grab people. Right. You grab them with the emotion. You know, the, and these words, enemy, annihilation, You know, trust, these are all foundational, human, experiential touchstones that anybody you pitch to, I mean, it's been an executive, they know distrust.
1: (laughs) Do you, do you also utilize your why of why you're writing the projects?
2: Sure. You know, and, and I think that, you know, that's the, uh, that's where voice comes in. Mm -hmm. You You know, to me, I'm fascinated how, you know, government can work. But that's my own idiosyncrasy. That's what happens in the conversation after the pitch, Mm -hmm. you know, and hopefully the pitch went well enough. It was short enough. It was emotionally powerful enough. And I pushed some buttons that I, I got their heart turned towards me Mm -hmm. so that their head is also facing. And so that the mind starts, I'm feeling this way why do I care? I just met this guy five minutes ago. Why do I care about this story? I came in, I did this as a favor. I did this pitch, you know, because it's like, what do I want to tell a story about this person? Ronald Reagan. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's like, or whatever, you know, you know, you just like, but I grabbed your heart. And so now your head is curious. Mm-hmm. Why did? why do I care? Why am I feeling? Why was I grabbed by this? And so they lean in across the table. So, you know, what are you thinking about this? And then now you get to weave in you you as the Mm storyteller, as well as the story sharer. So my pitch is I'm sharing something with you. And then we'll move into telling and explaining and all that. But the pitch has to be a shared experience. Because that's will make it singular. That's why my pitch, if you were given the same story, mm-hmm. it'll be different coming from you. If any other writer who's listening to this were given yeah, the exact same like, material. What if Reagan was a crip?
1: That's uh, right.
2: <laughs> that, well, which one? Which ones are the red bandanas? Blue. Okay. Well, then there, he'd be red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're Republican after all. Red and blue. <laughs>
1: um, awesome, man. Thank you, buddy. Sure. I appreciate it. That was fun. That was fun. We got some game there. Um. See that three, three or four of them in that moon. Down. did you hear that Three or four? Ooh. Oh, you got gonna have to drop that one. Bam! Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Brian. We appreciate having you, man. Leah in here in the building looking all cute he got a little skirt on like she cute (laughs) or something
2: thank you uh, Hilliard I mean this is an absolute pleasure I am not only a fan of your podcast I'm a fan of uh, of you as a writer but most importantly I'm a huge fan of you as a human being thank you and for anybody who listens to this show uh, the human being that is in your earbuds is the human being that, if you're so fortunate, you would get to sit across from Sunday.
1: Trying to make your brother teary-eyed and shit. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. That's very nice of you, buddy. Um, hopefully, the two of us will be, you know, co-chairs on the uh, education committee coming up. Honored to do that morning. with
2: you, if if that's what uh, is that what the guild and the other members ask. Well.
1: I'm gonna nominate you anyway, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, who knows if I'll make it, right? Who knows, anyway. Um, so yeah, man, we we'll, we'll, we got a lot of shit. We got a lot of work to do. That's right. You know, in we the do. event that that happens, I'm sure it's gonna happen to be no problem. Yep. You know, because Jeff will be supporting us on that. Um, but I knew you were the perfect person for that. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, for sure.
2: It's thank a great uh, a committee, and for those of you who don't know, you're members. Uh, the Education Committee <clears> puts on uh, either solely or in conjunction with other. Uh, groups and other committees inside the guild to just further a lot of the stuff we talked about today could be craft yeah. could be business yeah. could be both we've had accountants and we've had executives <laughs> and we've had agents and we've had fellow writers so we run the panoply of things that you might uh, find interesting or need to address and it's always about those kind of blind spots and and that's i really enjoy a lot of the programs that we've done It's just gotten people thinking about not only how they approach this business, but how you approach storytelling, how you can be a better empathetic writer, how you can, you know, foster opportunity and, and, and options for and, and voices that otherwise wouldn't have been said. And I think the education committee does a really good job of spearheading the exposure. Mm. All those conversations start with exposure. Indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you, man. Yeah. Where can people follow you at? Where are you at? Uh, again, if you want my boring anodyne Twitter, it's <laughs> Brian underscore Gary of which, uh, if you, uh, if you need support, I will there to give you a like, like, and a thumbs up, or you will see me repost great things like who's up, who's chopping it up on the rant room.
1: <laughs> well, we might need to tell him to do a little. What do they call it where you do more than one tweet? What do they call it? Oh, a thread. You need to do some more threads on here's how you do this and here's how you do that. Yeah, I probably should. You know, he's so wise, isn't he wise? Smart motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn <dramaturg. laughs> I'm Bringing just... out the playwrights in the house. Exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly. Because, you know, it's a, Crowd.
1: And you can also find him as the executive producer of uh the Writers Guild Podcast W at WGA West. So please look from there. He does some amazing interviews. Like I said, he just did this one with Aaron Sorkin off the chain. I just heard another one with you.
2: Matt Reeves was recently too. Yeah, maybe that's was. Yeah, one. the yeah. Batman. Yes. Oh. Nice. That was a good one. Um, and and I'll leave you with this something Go he ahead. said. Um, what what really struck me about the conversation with Matt Reeves, not only is he just a really Emotional kind of <clears throat> sensitive soul, but he talked about why he writes, why he directs, why he edits. It's to help form the chaos into the, the world around him into mm. something that he can understand. Right. But he used a phrase that I loved. He said, "When I'm writing the script, I'm trying to find the story. When I'm on set with the actors." trying to find the story. Mm. When I'm in the edit room and I've, I've shot what I've written, I'm trying to find the story. Mm. And hopefully by the end, I have. Nice.
1: That was good. That was bars right there. Yeah. See that? <laughs> that was game. <laughs> and I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm cool. Um, <clears throat> at uh, And I say
2: Twitter <laughs> because I'm not.
1: <laughs> at Twitter, uh, at ScreenwritersRR, you can follow the show. Also, you can find me on Clubhouse Every Blue Moon um, and Instagram, shit like that. Also, we have a Facebook page we'll never promote. Um, (laughs) I'm horrible at it. Dude, we should have 50,000 people following this show. I'm just never on Twitter like that. Anyway, so but I love y'all motherfuckers who listen to the show. Um, (laughs) I just don't engage enough, you know what I mean? Which is one of the problems I have with the guild thing. Like, they just post it once. Like, they need to do it several times a week i know you know what i mean i know yeah. it's just y'all busy but you know it is what it is. um anyway so what else what else oh please go on itunes stitcher apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to uh give us a five-star review we need that for the metrics um we are everywhere spotify everywhere everywhere all over the world um shout out to all the countries out there who keep emailing me saying you guys are here the show loving what we're doing um, we appreciate y'all please go on our, screenwriters, our, our dot com get the t-shirts post a picture we'll retweet you guys back or we you know post it um tag us all the shit like that um we cuss too much on the shit don't we <laughs> I, I totally do it on your show too i'm just like <laughs> um <laughs> first amendment man first amendment
2: <laughs> we are writers after all
1: <laughs> anyway so chris will be back um uh, coming up and we're going to be dropping our 400th episode Woo! next week jesus christ um this is going to drop tomorrow so see how special he is. Look at that. <laughs> anyway, thank you again, Leah, for coming through. And um, Brian, love you, buddy. You too, Always appreciate man. you coming through, hanging with me and um, supporting me in everything that I do. And, you know, um, like I said, when I tell you how much I look up to you, and, and because, because I love smart people. I really do. I'm just like, man, I wish I knew that. And I wish I'd be dangerous if I knew that. <laughs> anyway, thank you again. joining with me for 2022. Okay? Yeah. 2022. We're not doing Wakanda forever right now. Okay. So, all right. So, you know how we're doing on The Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Brian?
0: 2022. to <laughs> 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 what I feel Peace, y'all. <laughs> and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to The Rant Room. Boom, boom, boom. So, you wanna be a rider? Well, you gotta be a rider. Till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the red room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know the street nerd is got no time for no kaka. Sass in class, yes, the Mr. of Kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more no game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want.